Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Olford, and we're back after our one-week interlude. I guess you can call it a little like an autumn break. And we're now launching the first episode of Season 3. So, hey there, Lori. How are you doing? Doing well, Joe. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, we're now geared up for the last few months of 2021, and we have some really interesting topics lined up for the upcoming episodes. I think everyone will find them to be extremely thought-provoking, and hopefully all of you will continue to join us on this podcast as we explore some uh, fascinating stuff. And we start with that today as we look into the place that over the years has become synonymous, synonymous with uh, top secret government classification. Of course, we're talking about Area 51, you know, the common name for the uh, U.S. Air Force facility that's located within the Nevada Test and uh, Training Center, some 80 miles north of Las Vegas. That's right. Officially, the Nellis Air Force Range, it's a detachment administratively under the command of Edwards Air Force Base in California. And is at a very isolated and remote site within the Nevada Test and Training Range, also called the NTTR. It is a place where the military designs and tests various aircraft and weapon systems that fall in the category of black projects, of which the F-117 stealth fighter and the B-2 stealth bomber are popular examples, not to mention the F-22 Raptor and the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. Uh, the planning and funding for all of these are handled as classified at very high levels within the Defense Department, the Office of Management and Budget, as well as various congressional committees. Yeah, and just as with our last uh, show about the Roswell incident, we want to let everyone know that this is just our own analysis of things. Area 51 is completely shrouded in mystery and conspiracy, and there are very few people out there who can attest to having direct knowledge about what goes on there. So Joe and I aren't claiming to be privy to any secrets. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to talk about it at all. Uh, Like every other topic we discuss here, we're just exploring the evidence and asking the questions to see where they take us. Exactly. We all have our different viewpoints, and we just want to discuss what we think is a very intriguing subject. And we hope that you, the listeners, will also find it enticing enough to inspire and encourage uh, further research into things like the possible reverse engineering of alien technology within the United States top secret programs. And like you said, Laurie, if we were experts uh, on the inner workings of Area 51, we wouldn't be permitted to talk about it in a podcast because we would know too much. So we are just novices when it comes to Area 51, but it allows us to ask the questions about it, to muse, to think out loud about what might be going on there, and to tie it in with what we've studied thus far in our other episodes. Right. As always, we are mere students on a quest to discover the truth about our universe and the possibility that we are not alone. We are curious about Area 51 because it's a forbidden fruit. We believe that there are strange and otherworldly things going on there from the stories told, but we're denied access to see it. We're denied confirmation of it. And as with any mystery, until a conclusion is reached by way of solid proof, we remain obsessed with it. And this is especially the case somebody is deliberately blocking us from finding out about said truth. Yeah, and just to be straightforward, we know that in the last few years, there has been a rise in demonstrations on the perimeter roads and on the gates out at the NTTR in efforts to storm Area 51. 
Many of these are organized by UFO enthusiasts and zealots on social media and by YouTubers, so as to get a large group of people to try to overwhelm the security forces in the hopes to breach the containment and then get inside Area 51 to see firsthand all of the fancy secrets going on there. Um, we totally discourage anyone from taking part in such activities. You know, anything to storm Area 51 or bum rush Area 51. It is the most protected place on Earth uh, with the use of lethal force, and it's done so for a reason. So please don't violate any laws and put yourself in danger by trying to perform an incursion there for a cause that is falsely labeled as part of a power to the people movement. It's anarchy, plain and simple. So don't don't do it. Um, these pursuits to find out what the government is hiding uh, in their top secret programs, it needs to be done legally by way of applying for FOIA requests from the Defense Department or by contacting your congressmen and senators to push for legislation that facilitates more transparency or by petitioning the federal courts to challenge judicial rulings that have been uh, implemented uh, in the past and have impeded public access to uh, certain records. So civil disobedience via an attempt to trespass upon uh, a military installation is not the way to do it. So please don't go out and mess with uh, the security of Area 51. Yeah, for sure. Uh, There are definitely more responsible ways to inquire and investigate into these classified programs. A public rebellion against the military authority that is guarding these bases is not an an admiral undertaking, uh, and it is not something we condone or support at all. Uh, from what we've seen with those who are attempting to storm Area 51 or have done so in the past, it it looks like the same thing as violent and unruly protests. That's not the way things are to be done in our society, and it is not your right. If you take part in that, you'll get arrested, and people have been arrested, and you will have deserved it. So don't do it. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, Laurie and I are police officers, so we're definitely going to toe the line when it comes to issues of law and order. So let's be civil and respectable and legal in all that we do with our curiosity about top-level secrets. Yeah, and with that being said, let's ask why Area 51 is so top secret. Um, It is top secret of top secret, though. but why is only a select group of people permitted to even work there and see what goes on? And why are they given orders to not divulge anything uh, about it at all for the rest of their lives? Why has the government denied for so long that the place even exists? Uh, something big is going on there. And and if you try to get too close to see it, whether it be on foot, in a car, or in an airplane, you're going to get shot at. Um, what is what is there that is so special that it gets a place so remote that it's excluded from normal maps? Well, it's something that is meant to be well hidden from everyone. Something top secret of the top secret. Uh, The installation was built in 1955 on what is called Groom Lake, which is dried up. And back at that time, it was uh, completely uninhabitable and inaccessible and isolated from any other place uh, imaginable. Uh, It was was isolated of a place as it could possibly be. It was the last spot anyone would want to go or even think about going and thus was a perfect place to hide things. It was a literal bomb burst with no one around because it was one of the places where nuclear weapons were tested. Now, the the origin of the name Area 51 is a little uncertain. 
but it most likely derives from the Atomic Energy Commission's old uh, grid numbering designation of what was once called in Nevada Proving Grounds, uh, where there were nuclear weapons testing going on. Uh, and then it became the Nevada Test Site. And again, in recent years, the Nevada National Security Site, or N2S2. Apparently, a huge chunk of the state of Nevada, north of Las Vegas, is nothing but just one big military base known as the Nellis Air Force Base Complex. And that includes the NTTR, the N2S2, the Tonopah Bombing Range, as well as Nellis itself. And Area 51 is tucked away well within this expansive complex. Yeah. Now, let's uh, consider again the storming of Area 51. Let's go back to that. Years ago in September of 2019, but ended up being just just a get-together with uh, too many people signing up for the task, but actually not showing up. So even Rolling Stone magazine obtained documents about how serious the feds were taking this fiasco. I mean, they were ready. Um, they had mobilized dozens of law enforcement agencies and that they were ready for exposure to nuclear and biological weapons. Um, they were going to kill those who attempted to uh, to enter, no doubt about it. Yeah, seriously. And, and and this does make you wonder what kind of secrets are really there. They have to be huge secrets, and I'm sure they are. Uh, according to an article by the BBC dated September 19th, 2019, its association, uh, that being Area 51's association with aliens, uh, may have served as a distraction for the CIA, which used uh, this information to their benefit uh, and, and done so by fostering the idea of uh, there being this extraterrestrial mythology. Uh, we've seen that before. We talked about that before, that uh, there's a certain uh, psychological impact that is made upon people and upon other nations, foreign nations, enemy nations as uh, in this way, with them wondering whether it's true without any confirmation, of course. So this could just be a tool of deception. Indeed. But Rolling Stone also went on to mention that something uh, that some time ago, a government official received information about a possible helicopter attacking a building out there. Um, this ended up being a test by the security forces detail, uh, which for some strange reason did not advise Nellis headquarters. This eventually led to Navy fighter jets being scrambled to deploy to the NTTR. I mean, holy crap, like they were ready to launch warheads to blast the whole thing when they thought it was under attack. Um, is that their procedure and protocol? I mean, to obliterate uh, it before the enemy gets to it? So if they were willing to launch warheads, then I guarantee they were more than ready to start using whatever means necessary to take out a bunch of people thinking they could outrun bullets by acting like some anime character. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> yeah, like, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. now it wasn't until 2013 that uh, Barack Obama became the first U.S. president to publicly mention the words Area 51, which was a few months after the CIA uh, gave an official disclosure. However, this was mostly a declaration of the obvious. We all knew there was an Area 51 and that its operations were all highly classified. And they just merely came out and said what all of us have said for decades and, and have known for decades. Sure. It's, it's sort of like how it took the office of the Surgeon General so long to officially acknowledge that cigarette smoking leads to a high risk of lung cancer. People, both in the medical field and otherwise, they reasonably suspected that for many years before that was announced. This whole thing has been infused within the body politic of this country throughout the whole Cold War era. And it's like they just told us what we wanted to hear, nothing else. It's comparable to how we tell our little kids when they ask about Santa Claus 
Uh, we say with an honest and affectionate smile, why, of course he is real, dear. As far as what is really going on out in Nevada, it's still hidden in secrecy, still cloaked in secrecy. And the question of an extraterrestrial presence there has not at all been answered or acknowledged. Yeah, they didn't say a word about any reverse engineering. And when we hear about Area 51, phrases like hidden base, top secret, alien technology, etc., are the buzzwords that come to mind. Now, you have to ask, why the denial since the 50s? If the base exists, then does alien technology exist there as well? After all, that was the claim associated with Area 51. Not only that, but aliens, possibly dead, possibly alive. There are accounts of both being there. Yeah, and the same uh, narrative sort of revolves around the Roswell crash as, as well, uh, that alien bodies were found and that they, along with the wreckage debris, were moved to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and then later on to Area 51. And really, Area 51 is possibly a connection between the Roswell crash and, and other similar UFO incidents and, and the research and development of military black projects. As we point out in our previous show, this all seems to have happened within a relatively short time period. So when you consider the progress of human technology, we see that it is very slow. We go from the agricultural revolution during the Neolithic age of 13,000 years ago with a long march of 10,000 years to the Bronze Age. And it's another 3,000 years to the Iron Age, which takes us to the golden era of Greece and Rome. Uh, innovation and invention continue to improve at a rate that is sort of like the flow of cold, thick molasses. People are living like the Flintstones uh, well until the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, which is from the 15th through 18th centuries. And then finally, the Industrial Revolution is reached uh, after almost 2,000 years. And from there, which is the 19th century, things pick up and technology grows significantly uh, more and more each year until uh, the late 1940s and early 1950s. And then it's the technological revolution. And that moves us along like a speeding bullet into the atomic age, the electronic age, the space age, the computer age, all in a mere 30 to 40 years. Then the cyber age in which we are in now, that in less than 20 years, some of it in less than 10 years. The most impressive and breathtaking stuff uh, in human technology seems to have been achieved just around the time of the Roswell crash and the establishment of Area 51. Could it be that human ingenuity was accelerated by the discovery of alien technology back then? Yeah, yeah. And, if, and if alien technology is being worked on at Area 51, then I can see why the military would not want that information getting out to the public and then eventually to our enemies. Like we said in the last episode, allow the rumor to go around so that people will speculate, but the verification, as well as the ins and outs of the reverse engineering processes, uh, that they want to keep completely sealed away from any prying eyes. So I can definitely see the concern there. However, while the government doesn't want to reveal what's secret at Area 51, and overall, you know, they should not reveal it, the public does have a right to know to truly know if there is intelligent extraterrestrial life that does exist, and we are not alone in the universe. Uh, if not a political or military reason to share that, then certainly there is an ethical reason to let people know the truth about who we are and why we are here. Uh, it would be like withholding the fact from someone that they have a living sibling or parent that they don't know exists. That person could go through life believing that he or she has no family. 
would it not be the right thing to do to tell that person if you knew it to be true that they do have a family uh, that exists? Why would you want to keep that as a secret from that person? How would it benefit you to not let them know that? You know, I would say that there is even a spiritual reason to inform the people about the existence of extraterrestrial life. Uh, think of how knowing that there are other intelligent life forms beyond the earth, how that would affect our beliefs about God and about our place in the cosmos. It could very well bring all of us together, all of us with our religious divisions, um, and it could bring us together and put us on the right path for, know, for knowing the, the, the truth. And that's something all of us spend our entire lives seeking. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, it, it would really uh, change everything we know about ourselves individually and about the human race as a whole. Uh, if the government knows aliens are real, they can just tell us that and keep everything else a secret. They do that with other things like foreign policy issues. Why can't they do that with the existence or non-existence of alien beings? I mean, just tell us. So if you, so you and I both reviewed the Pentagon's report to Congress on the on unidentified aerial phenomena from back in June of this year, and it doesn't say much of anything at all. It uh, really just states the obvious that they are unidentifiable and they don't know what uh, they really are. Yeah, right. It's government reporting at its finest. Uh, It actually uh, came as a preliminary assessment from the director of national intelligence. Uh, Yeah, it it reeks of plausible deniability in which the officials can neither confirm nor refute the existence or occurrence of something. It's a non-answer and leaves us no better informed than we were beforehand, uh, which is kind of typical of government reporting in the last few years. Although it is interesting that it says that extraterrestrial origins of UFOs or UAPs cannot be ruled out. However, most of us could have come to that very same conclusion. So we say thanks for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) But for the most part, I I think Americans and the rest of the world believe in extraterrestrial life anyway. So why not just come out and say it? I mean, don't give hints or beat around the bush. Just, Just say it. We are not alone. It's that simple. Or we are alone. Just tell us if the unidentified aerial phenomena, like the Tic Tac seen in the Navy fighter jet footage and all the flying saucers and the Phoenix lights are man-made. If they're not, then just say that they're from another planet. Um, there's no need to un- unveil how, how they really work or, or, or where they're really kept or what they're really capable of doing. Yeah, it's, it's not just to say uh, we, we, you know, we built that stuff. Just come on and say we built all that stuff. And all the operational and technical specifications can still be kept under lock and key. It's not like they have to divulge everything about it. I mean, most of us know about the black projects. We've seen photographs of them. We've read articles about them. That doesn't mean we know how they function or what they can do or the kind of scientific knowledge that went into the planning, design, and development of them. If the Tic Tac is man-made, then say, this that's our aircraft uh, that's seen 
flying super fast over the Pacific Ocean in that footage. Uh, we're not going to tell you how it works, but we did design and build it. Although I have to say this is hard to accept as a, as a human pilot inside of the Tic Tac would not be able to survive the G-forces that would be caused in the way that it was seen maneuvering in that footage. A uh, person would be turned into Swiss cheese. So if it was built by the U.S. or another country, it's most likely an unmanned aircraft, which again, uh, that raises the question of how was it able to fly in the manner that it was seen in the footage? Yeah, for sure. So Area 51 really was made public in a big way by an American physicist named Bob Lazar. Uh, he came out in 1989 and claimed to have worked on reverse engineering projects and even divulged on something called Element 115, which does not exist to anyone's knowledge. Uh, when they shoot photons at it, it supposedly then increases the atomic number to make it element 116 and releasing energy. Uh, this may possibly have something to do with giving a spacecraft the capacity for extremely high speeds or somehow be able to bend space and time. Bob Lazar ended up dropping off the face of the earth. He was ostracized by the people who employed him. Now, why would someone like that come forward and make you know such a claim? Sure, he obviously knew the risks and did it anyway. Uh, therefore, we don't hear about him anymore. And I can see where he felt that, you know, the public should be made aware of alien life, but uh, it should not have been through advising the world of top, top secret information in the way of leaking it to the public the way he did. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now, it's always been well documented and well demonstrated that the U.S. military is about 20 to 30 years ahead of everyone else, although they, they just don't come out and say it like that. Um, but consider that there have been many sightings of triangular shaped UFOs seen in the southwestern region of the United States. One thing to realize is that Nevada is directly north of Arizona, and that brings to mind a 1997 Phoenix Lights incident. Uh, could that triangular shaped UFO have been a product of Area 51? I, I say this because the direction of it was traveling from northwest towards southeast. And we're going to be discussing the Phoenix Lights as well as a, uh, in, a, in an upcoming episode this season. But uh, it may well have been one of our test flights of a massive craft meant for future use. And it may have come right out of Nellis Air Force Base Complex. The Phoenix Lights may have been one of the black projects being developed that as of this time is still undisclosed to the public. Yeah, you know, one of the things that seems to be uh, characteristic of these black projects is stealth the capability to evade radar detection and move to a target without counterattack or conduct surveillance in a region without being interdicted. This is also a characteristic of UFOs, right? At least some of them. And that is that they sometimes don't appear on radars. Now, I know that the Phoenix lights weren't exactly stealth uh, as they were seen by a lot of people, um, but UFOs are often said to either not show up on radar or else show up in very weird and confusing ways. Our stealth aircraft have a uh, similar capacity to counteract such detection, either actively or passively. And this has a lot to do with the materials and structural configurations of the airframes, all of which changed dramatically from World War II until the 1970s. The ability to avoid uh, radio frequency detection comes from the assembly of metal and composite fiber panels uh, made of graphite, polymers, and aluminum and titanium alloys in the external construction of this uh, of these aircraft. Also, the use of electronic countermeasure systems to deceive and jam radar and sonar. And the design and development of this technology seemed to jumpstart after the time Area 51 became active. 
uh, it also mimics how UFOs are said to behave in that they don't get picked up by ground and airborne scanners and are said to have been able to manipulate as well as override and disable the controls of aircraft, um, aircraft or ground-based radars. Uh, so again, the things that UFOs are said to be able to do is what our latest uh, military prototypes are also being said to be able to do. And another characteristic is improved aerodynamic efficiency and design. Modern aircraft have achieved speeds that are sometimes five to six times the speed of sound and have reached altitudes that are above the stratosphere, uh, like the SR-71 Blackbird, which was put into production in 1966. It is said to have attained a speed of Mach 4 and reached a cruising altitude of 70,000 feet. The U-2 spy plane was brought online even before that, around 1955, and it could reach 60,000 feet. So the, the very conceptualization of such aircraft would have been unfathomable before the 1950s. I mean, just take a look at the photographs of these things and compare them to the photographs of the airplanes that were flown you know, in, the, in the World War II era before 1947. There's no comparison. The, the modern aircraft are light years ahead of them. Uh, so the SR-71 and the U-2 were both top secret when put into service, and it's very peculiar that we were able to build something so advanced like them just a decade or so after Roswell. Could it be that after this, the U.S. government then reached out to aerospace engineers, computer scientists, and atomic physicists, and solid-state physicists in an effort to attempt uh, the replication of the crash UFO and its intrinsic uh, systems? So from... 1947 to the creation of Area 51 in 1955, they may have been able to study the technology enough to, to get them to the point where they could build something like that themselves. And this is what we mean by reverse engineering. Um, if this is the case, then the Roswell crash and Area 51 are the reasons why the military is always on the cutting edge of technological breakthroughs. And I think it makes sense. So. Let me break this down for our listeners out there by showing them how we investigate and analyze this research and come to the conclusions that we do. So remember, this base came into existence only eight years after the Roswell UFO crash. Uh, in an article by ampproject.org dated October 16, 2021, it states that the U.S. planes flew over the Soviet Union for surveillance known as recon missions with the high risk of being shot down. This was in the early 1950s, but in 1954, the United States started a new project called Aquatone, where new advanced aircraft were built to fly at extremely high altitudes that brought about the U-2 spy plane, which could fly higher than 60,000 feet, when normal planes were not able to climb higher than 40,000. So this would have been inconceivable in the 1940s. So it makes you wonder if Aquatone was born out of the crash UFO and if the specialized materials of the U-2 and even the SR-71 Blackbird, for that matter, weren't materials replicated from it. If the saucer did not crash at Roswell, I wonder if we would have had the technical savvy to build these planes. And think about this. Roswell was in 1947. Area 51 came about in 1955 with amazing advancement in aeronautics and orbital mechanics, which led to the U.S. going to the moon in 1969, all within 22 years. Basically, just in the time it takes for an infant to become a grown adult. Now, keep in mind what I said earlier about the designs, development, and planning that went into these projects. So the first moon landing needed to have had the blueprints for the spacecraft, the rocket boosters, the lunar modules, all completed, 
And then it would have taken quite a few years of assembly, test, testing, and, and, and producing them. So all this planning, designing, and developing within a meager 22-year period? Yeah, think about how long it took them to construct St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican. It took 120 years uh, before it was completed in 1626. In the 20th century, we start off with aircraft that are are really just like crude lawnmower engines with these clunky, uh, awkwardly shaped wings made of wood and cloth. And then they go to supersonic jets and rockets, uh, even ones that are hypersonic. Uh, Even the Eiffel Tower in Paris took two years to build in the late 1880s which is not bad considering the engine-powered cranes and, and hoists, uh, as, as well as the steel working. Uh, it was all state-of-the-art for that time. But we know that something like that uh, being built today could be completed in a matter of weeks, not years. So that 22 years between Roswell and the first moon landing encompasses a whole lot of very fast-paced innovations. Well, there's a connection there, folks, and I strongly believe that uh, Roswell is the key to it all. Uh, I mean, come on, we get a crash extraterrestrial craft and within 22 years, we are going into space. Surely it is not unreasonable to think that our spacecraft were derived from extraterrestrial, from the extraterrestrial one that just happened to crash on our, on our uh, soil, our property. Sure. And something to consider is the F-117 Nighthawk fighter, which is considered to be uh, or thought to be a hallmark of stealth and precision targeting. And it was built in 1978 by Lockheed Martin, but it wasn't introduced to the public until 1988. So you might say, well, that's, that's only 10 years. It's not a whole lot of time. But if it was built in 1978, think of how long the prototype was being designed and tested before it went into production. It could have been started as early as, you know, 1971, 1972. And really, uh, today, the F-117 is actually antiquated. It's superseded by the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, which is said to be so fast that it can climb to 45,000 feet in only a minute. Yeah, I think we have top secret stuff that will destroy anything human made. Uh, We are not going to let another catching us off guard event ever take us by surprise again, such as uh, Pearl Pearl Harbor. Uh, Actually, Joe, you and I uh, know a guy who worked at Area 51 a while ago. That's right. We do indeed know someone. Yep. And uh, one time when I asked him if there are aliens out there, his reply was, no, Laurie, there isn't. However, I asked him if alien technology was there. And he smiled, but would not give me an answer this time. So I said, you're a Christian. You can't lie. <laughs> and uh, he would not say yay or, or nay uh, and tried to change the subject. And I didn't press the issue any further because I already had the answer. And, and it would have been just as well if he had just told me yes. Yeah, I remember when I was in the Air Force, I knew some guys who were stationed at Nellis. I was never stationed there. And I would try to pick their brains a little and ask, you know, what goes on out there? What about the UFO sightings? And what about all those lights that have been seen zipping by over the desert? What about alien bodies? And, and I would get the same kind of response. They would say, come on, Joe, you know the protocol, OPSEC and COMSEC. You swore the same oath when you enlisted as we did. You sign the same affidavits and training documents. You know that's classified. We can't talk about it. We just can't. So that's kind of how it is. You know, those who break with the protocol, they become like Bob Lazar. And I don't think any of us would want to go through life like how he did and and go through what he did after he came forward with that information. True. But I believe humanity is ready 
for uh, it more than we think. Just don't let us know that they're en route to destroy us or subject us to slavery. (laughs) Um, That is something we might be better off not knowing. Uh, We must keep in mind that when Bob Lazar came forward as a whistleblower, it set off a frenzy of people questioning if there really uh, were aliens at Area 51. And it wasn't until 2013 when the CIA acknowledged Area 51 and that they work on top secret military stuff there. They admitted to it. However, they did not admit to uh, or even comment on the subject of alien bodies, but only that the base does indeed exist. So let's look at our previous topics about the Anunnaki, i.e. the ancient gods, and and how they came here to mine minerals and perform um, genetic engineering that resulted in us being formed as a hybrid species of alien and and hominid uh, DNA. The, the little gray creatures that are said to be associated with the Roswell crash or anything that has to do with Area 51 do not seem to be them. Uh, they're not the Anunnaki from the planet Nibiru, uh, so they're not our creators. Nope. Uh, they're different aliens altogether. Now, we can infer that because of the descriptions of the Anunnaki being large and, and appearing to be more like us, these alien grays are not the same as them. They are not the species in whose image we are made At this point, it's a little hard to say if they, the ones from Nibiru, have visited us in the last 75 years like others have uh, seemed to have. But Sitchin's calculations, uh, or by Sitchin's calculations, their planet isn't supposed to come to Earth again until around the year 2500, give or take, could be longer than that, maybe even sooner. So the Anunnaki were here at one time, actually several times in the past, but uh, are but are not here now. And that is consistent with all of our religious traditions that God or the gods were present among people way back then and did amazing and incredible things, but they left and are no longer here. It is by our human inclination for faith and individual belief that we wait for them to return. But the alien greys are indeed different. And the popular notion is that they come from a world that is nowhere near our solar system. Some say they come from the star system Zeta Reticuli, which is in the southern constellation Reticulum. Of course, uh, this is mere speculation, as we never talked to any of them to ask them where they're from. (laughs) It's also believed that they are uh, far more advanced than even the Anunnaki, uh, with the capabilities of interstellar travel, telepathic communication, and quantum leaping. I mean, just incredible things that would surpass our wildest imaginations. Yeah, uh, not all alien races are to be confused with the Anunnaki or the Ajiji uh, that we've been talking about as integrated with Sumerian mythology. The alien greys, the sort of classic illustration with disproportionately uh, or disproportionately large heads compared to their bodies and huge black eyes and and little or no mouth and nose, uh, they have a totally different anatomy than us. And they're the ones who are said to have abducted Biddy and Barney Hill in their famous case that was investigated in 1961. They're supposedly the ones who abducted uh, Travis Walton in 1975, as was later shown in the movie Fire in the Sky. Yeah, and there are others, uh, like the Polydians, uh, said to be from the uh, star system uh, in the Pleiades, in the constellation Taurus, and are supposedly the ones that are pale white with blonde hair, and have, have very thin bodies and very long necks and have very small eyes. And, and then there are also some that are reptilian, 
uh, like the Arcturians from the constellation Butes and the Centaurians from Proxima Centauri. And as we mentioned before, the Anunnaki may even have had reptilian eyes themselves. So there's a good bit of variation there with uh, intergalactic speciation. Yep. Uh, now, there, th- there is another very sinister and chilling story around Area 51 that I would like to bring up. It's about a guy named Phil Snyder. He, a geologist and underground construction expert who worked under some of these uh, black project contracts that you mentioned earlier, Joe, for about 17 years. Now, this guy even had level one security clearance, and he spent some time out at out on the uh, Nellis Air Force Base complex. The strange and weird thing about him is that he is supposedly one of the, the three survivors from an alien slash human battle that happened in New Mexico at Dulce and at the Los Alamos underground facility. Obviously, very little is known and documented about this, but a few have claimed that in August of 1979, over 60 government officials were killed in that so-called battle. Uh, After Phil came forward with, with this about 10 years later, he reportedly had many attempts made on his life until one day, January 17, 1996, he was found dead with a rubber hose wrapped around his neck three times. And guess what they ruled as the cause of death, Joe? Suicide. The government always <laughs> say it was suicide. Yep. Uh, go figure, right? And uh, I guess he was also missing three fingers on one of his hands, which would have made it a little difficult to wrap a hose around uh, his neck. Uh, it was also believed that he owned a nine millimeter handgun, which he could have used to kill himself much quicker. So who knows, right? Um, of course, the consensus is that it was his whistleblowing about this battle between aliens and the U.S. military that resulted in, in in someone killing him. And the species believed to be involved in that battle was, uh, I believe, none other than the uh, reptilians. And so, as always, uh, you, the audience, uh, need to come to your own conclusions about what secretly goes on at Area 51. And what you just said, Lori, is a good transition into the topic uh, for our next show, which is reptilian aliens. Uh Naturally, we have reptiles here on Earth, and paleontologists will say that they ruled as a dominant species during the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous periods that lasted from 120 to about 30 million years ago. And likewise, we see reptiles, particularly the snake, have had a significant psychological, dogmatic, and symbolic meaning, uh, like the serpent in the Garden of Eden probably being the most prominent as a manifestation in our religious thinking. Yeah, that's right. But the reptilians we're talking about are a species of intelligent life from another planet. As it is, next week is Halloween, and uh, we hope you have you all have fun going trick-or-treating with, with your kiddos and attending adult costume parties for a good time and all. Uh, drinking parties, Laurie. Adult Halloween parties or just drinking parties. <laughs> yeah, truth. And you and I have responded to many of those <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to break them up. Yeah, yep. um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, consuming alcohol while in costumes. But uh, we do ask that you stay safe out there and enjoy the night. Um, have fun. Um, we will be uploading an episode on Halloween night, and we are sure you will enjoy it. Well, we'll talk about the area mysterious retellian alien race that will uh, put a uh, chill on your spine and the hair stand on your neck. It'll be a great. Yes, it will be a great episode for such a night, especially if uh, you're not a big fan of reptiles. I mean, I'm okay with them, sort of. Uh, They're better than spiders and scorpions. 
Um, I'm sure we won't be doing an episode on arachnids anytime soon. I never say never. Uh, there could be spider aliens somewhere out there, Joe. Oh, I shudder to think. <laughs> An invasion of spiders from outer space. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, the idea of being enslaved by the Anunnaki doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, thanks for joining us today in our discussion about Area 51. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to being with you next time. Also, please give us any of your comments and suggestions on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, Roy and I are always happy to hear uh, what you guys have to say. So as always, stay curious. Yes, and we want to say that we appreciate all the support you've all given Alien Talk Podcast and for helping us reach uh, so many people in so many places around the world. Uh, it is truly a privilege to be able to reach out to all of you. So take care, everyone, Have a, and have a safe and uh, pleasant week.